Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Friday, October the 19th. We are reading from the big book, and we are on page 142, the third paragraph, where do you mention this book, through four paragraphs, ending with him on his return. And we will be commenting on all four paragraphs. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Lisa L., 12 Traditions, Lauren N., and readers of the text, Kelly S., and Madeline R. The share ID numbers for Thursday, October the 18th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 12059, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 12060. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lisa L. to read the 12 steps. Press star one to unmute, Lisa. So sorry. Hi, this is Lisa L. from Brooklyn. The 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa L. And Lauren N., could you please read the 12 traditions? This is Lauren N. Can you hear me? 
Yes, thank you. Twelve traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself to our, in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lynn, and I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren N. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 142, the third paragraph. Whether you mention this book, through four paragraphs ending with him on his return and comments on all. And Kelly S., could you start for us, please? I can. Thank you, Lynn, for your service. This is Kelly S., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, so whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion. If he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next bender which, if an alcoholic, he is almost certain to have. He should understand 
that emphatic. He should understand that emphatically. Either you're dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you are not. If not, why waste time with him? This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. After satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover and that he will go to any extreme to do so, you may suggest a definite course of action. For most alcoholics who are drinking, who are just getting over a spree, a certain amount of physical treatment is desirable, even imperative. The matter of physical treatment should, of course, be referred to your own doctor. Whatever the method, its object is to thoroughly clear mind and body of the effects of alcohol. In competent hands, this seldom takes long, nor is it very expensive. Your man will fare better if he is placed in such a physical condition that he can think straight and no longer craves liquor. If you propose such a procedure to him, it may be necessary to advance the cost of treatment. But we believe it should be made plain that any expense will be will later be deducted from his pay. It is better for him to feel fully responsible. If your man accepts your offer, it should be pointed out that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. Though you are providing him with the best possible medical attention, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. To get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We all had a place to recovery above we all had to place recovery above everything. For without recovery, we would have lost both home and business. Can you have every confidence in his ability to recover? Well, on the subject of confidence, can you adopt the attitude that so far as you are concerned that this will be strictly personal matter, that his alcoholic derelictions, the treatment about to be undertaken, will never be discussed without his consent? It might be well to have a long chat with him on his return. Holy smoly. This is a lot of stuff in here. I don't even know where to start. Okay, so back to the beginning paragraph I read, if he temporizes, so that's, you know, making a decision or committing oneself, you know, um, and if he thinks he can ever drink again or even beer. I mean, to me, this is the part in the big book where it talks about, um, you know, we have to have no lurking reservation, right, that I'll ever be able to drink or compulsively eat or eat my alcoholic foods like a normal person, not even beer. So there's no imperfect abstinence here, guys. It's 100% black and white. I have to put the food down. When I look at it like this, if somebody's like, oh, I'm just a little bit drunk. Oh, I just had beer. I just had one shot. I hear that in Overeaters Anonymous a lot. You know, I just had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, I ha- this book is telling me in the doctor's opinion right here that I have to have put it down 100%, you know, black and white. And um, and then, you know, of course, I have to do that. Yes, I do, because as it says, I have to thoroughly clear my mind and body of the effects, you know, thoroughly. So if I'm still picking up little things here and there, playing around with my food, then I'm not thoroughly clearing my mind. I can't do this program drunk. Um, I can't do it. That's been my experience of 30-something years, and the big book is telling me this, okay? And today I believe in this book because that's what's got me to this recovered state. So it says, you know, then um, it is extreme. Yes, it is. I have to do a, a definite course of action. And what's the course of action? It's laid out right here in the big book. It's these 12 steps. You know, so I put the food down and then I get busy. You know, steps one through nine are a deflation of ego. And I um, I have to get busy and I have to do this. And it just says it's a small, over here in this other uh, page 143, physical treatment is but a small part. You know, I'm clearing my mind. But as we know, we have a spiritual malady. The 
the book tells me that. I have a spiritual malady. So the physical stuff was just my solution to my inability to handle life. You know, I was picking up food because I didn't know how to do life. So now I'm, I'm having to work these steps so I can undergo a change of heart, an entire psychic change. You know, I'm being rocketed into that fourth dimension, transformation of thought and attitude. And how does that come about? That spiritual awakening, that spiritual transformation comes through working these steps. You know, I go through one through nine, and then I continue my spiritual journey on steps 10, 11, and 12, and I keep cleaned up, and I work um, getting closer to my higher power. And, and, you know, I do. I have to place recovery about, above everything else, you know. My, um, I'm telling you, I've, I've, spent a, I've spent a lifetime in relapse, and, and once I finally picked up this book and started doing what it said, listening to you guys and following this course of action, getting close to my God, keeping my food at 100%, working with others, and continuing this on a daily basis. I have neutrality with food I never thought possible. I'm learning to do life. You know, I'm handling all kinds of situations. Yeah, um, my spiritual growth is imperfect. I can tell you that. I'm a human. I can't rise above my humanness. But my, my absence is black and white. I do this work daily. And, yes, it's work, but no more work than my disease. My disease is so much more work. Thank you, Lynn. And with that, I pass. I'm so grateful to be on this meeting today. Thank you, Kelly S. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Please say your name Katie just G once as it helps me hear everyone. Okay. Who would like to share? Kim G. Katie G. from Boston. Ginger C. This is Larry K. Okay, so far I have Katie G., Kim G., Ginger C., Larry K. Did I miss anyone? Okay, Katie, would you like to start off for us, please, followed by Kim G.? Sherilyn, and I apologize for my over-enthusiasm on this Friday morning. KDG recovered in Boston. Yeah, so much here. You know, am I fully responsible for my money, for my actions, for my behaviors? You know, I spent a lifetime not wanting to be responsible for me. I didn't want to be responsible for all the horrible things that happened to me in my childhood. I was still punishing other people, you know, and until I, as a 30-year-old woman, said to my father, okay, I don't, I'm not taking any more of your money, you know, and made amends for that, you know, I, I wasn't growing up. I wasn't growing up. And am I, am I fully responsible for the entire abstinence today? You know, I just want to echo... I've been talking to people recently and they're telling me they're 98% abstinent or they're recovered and they're picking up every three to six months. And, and that if that's getting you to God, that's great. My experience is that it doesn't get me to God. And, uh, and I have to practice or I get to practice entire abstinence. And then it talks about this metamorphosis, this transfiguration, this changeover, like every, every part of my life must I am required to have a transformation of thought and attitude. And people say, you know, well, okay, so the only requirement for OA is a desire to stop eating, but the only, but there are no requirements, right, for anything else. But this is telling me, 
in order to recover, in order to um, to grow, I must have a I must have a transformation and thought and attitude. Everything about my life, like from the moment I get up in the morning, I've got to place recovery first, which means I'm practicing the willingness to bear discomfort. Like yes, or the other day when I when I was rude to a woman at the um at the medical secretary um office you know i had to place recovery above everything and call her back three times in order to get to her to say i was wrong and when she said well i'm sorry i said no i'm sorry why because i have because i have to do that i have to set things right when i'm wrong um you know and and this is to get over my eating and I have to have a, you know, what is my primary purpose today? My primary purpose used to be to get up in the morning and see how you can give me what I want, how you can move inside of me, change the spiritual malady that I have inside that thinks that external problems are going to solve this internal hole that I have. I have to to change and start putting people first and other people first. And the only way that I can do that is through entire abstinence, through inventory, um, and 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 living this recovery each and every day. And it's not it's not always easy, you know, and I'm not I'm certainly not perfect at it, but it is a process of ego deflation that I, I have to do every day, you know, like how am I how am I placing recovery first today? How am I living these steps today? And when I'm falling short, how am I fixing it? And um I just want to stay on these firing lines so that I can continue to grow and change and, and to stay clean and help others. And with that I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Kim G, it's your turn, followed by Ginger C. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I'm struck this morning with how clear, how clear the big book is and how confusing the fellowship is. You know, there's very clear instructions in here that they're saying that the physical treatment is imperative. Why is that? It says the object is to thoroughly clear the mind of the effects of alcohol. It's saying that if, if he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next vendor, which to me is also sponsoring um, directions. You know, um, so I think about, you know, what I hear in the rooms, what I hear in the fellowship, which is so confusing. I've been hearing that word imperfectly abstinent on this meeting as well as most of my meetings. You know, I've heard one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard in our literature is in our 12 and 12 where it says that we can um, get abstinent in order to work the steps or we can work the steps in order to get abstinent. You know, I just need to be a little bit more abstinent than I was when I went through the steps. This idea of yellow foods, which is ridiculous. You know, I can only have it when I'm in a restaurant. I can have it for religious reasons. You know, when I get to goal weight, I'll be able to have those foods again. You know, I don't have any allergic foods. It's only behavior. These are things I hear in the rooms that directly contradict what this book, big book is telling me consistently throughout the chapter. It's saying here, if you're in the chapter, if your man accepts your offer, he should be pointed out that the physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. It is necessary, but it is a small part that is only addressing the allergy. What, what do we need to do is we must undergo a change of heart, meaning we have to treat the larger aspect of our disease. So this reckons me back to the core of our, our book, which is the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion tells us the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. 
the only way that I'm not going to suffer the consequences of my allergic foods is to totally abstain from them 100%. And that is necessary. And the, the doctor's opinion tells me over and over that I must do that first before I address the larger aspect of my disease. The most simple way that I can explain it to you guys is the line of the doctor's opinion, men and drink, women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I cannot get the effect of the steps while I'm still getting the effect from the food. The biggest gift you can give yourself, I, could give, I gave myself, was to have a clearly defined abstinence of black and white so there was no wiggle room so that I could address the larger aspect of my disease. And let me assure you, when I did that and I worked the steps, I no longer wanted those foods. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Ginger C., it's your turn, followed by Larry K. Hi, good morning, and thank you for your service. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And uh, I just got tripped up on the first sentence. Whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion, your freedom to decide what you should what should be done in a particular situation. So I was listening to an AA podcast last night. I was, I was going to sleep, and they were talking, the speaker was talking about the relapse rate in AA and the people not getting help. And he said, if you are one of those people, and I say this today for overeaters, if you're one of those people, find a recovered person and get into this book. And everybody started clapping so incredibly loudly because this book, for me and my experience, strength, and hope saved my life. And it blows me away still that a book was my answer. And I still, I, I'll never forget that Virginia Beach experience with those sashes and the power of the big book. I was like, what the hell are they talking about? I was so blown away. But, you know, back to 25, it says, when therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved. And there are many that are talking on these lines that have beautiful recovery. They are recovered. They no longer see food as a solution to life or life's problems. They're doing so happily. So all I had to do was pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. You're seeing that there's a way out of this, and it's a practical program of action. you got to do it. It's not, again, for those who want it or need it, but those who are into action out of my head and into my heart. And then following these clear-cut directions, it's amazing what will happen for you. Most importantly, you won't care about the food. You will be neutral. That obsession gets lifted, and it's unbelievable. Because if I wasn't eating, I promise you I was thinking about it. And that craziness in my mind, I don't know what was worse, the physical pain from the eating or the insanity upstairs that would never shut up. So I just still am blown away by this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm in many programs. Because I'm in that summer program, some are sicker than others, and that's me. And in every program, every 12-step program that I am in, I read the big book to my sponsees, and their lights go on because they tap into this power that they've never felt before. 
So I just pray that if you're hurting today, you do get entirely abstinent. That is the beginning, absolutely. And then you get into action. You just start doing, because when you get busy, you get better. And you don't have time to think about you and am I going to relapse. You're just doing the work, and the work's doing what it's supposed to do. This power is coming in and keeping you safe and protected. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. Larry Kay, it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for your service. You know, it says you may suggest a definite course of action. Well, what course of action? It's it's certainly not a diet. I, when I came in, I thought it was a diet. And yeah, there was the steps. There was that too. But I, I, I saw it as putting the food down. You know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, that's what it says in our 12th step. This is a commitment to a process by which we have a transformation of thought and attitude. You know, Bill W., he was quite a business uh, talent. There's no doubt about that. And yet in 1939, you know, when they published this book and they were seeking publicity at that time to sell some books and pass this thing along, there was an old timer that came to him. I read about this and, uh, you know, an old timer for that time. Um, And he said he sure as hell was acting like a man on a dry drunk. You know, it was suggested that the first sin, if you will, of even a sober alcoholic, a sober compulsive eater was pride. And Bill was showing some of that, and he later admitted, admitted that. And, and yet it was said that perhaps the first cause of that state of pride, drunk or sober, eating or, or dry, was a unique specification of self-centeredness. That's what the book tells us. And it was the, in fact, it was the very root cause of our troubles was that self-centeredness. It was this notion of alcoholic grandiosity. So with our employers, you know, we're often prideful. We're full of grandiosity, even, even if it's often masked with a feigned sense of humility that we're not interested in greater, a greater share of validation, getting a little bit more from our colleagues and our bosses, and yet we'd give anything to be regularly acknowledged for the amazing work that we do, and that's, that's normal. We all want some validation. But what do we do? What did I do? Did I play politics? Did I gossip? I was up. I was down. I was all over the map. And then you know what I did? And I ate. And I ate. And I ate some more. And perhaps there's a better way, maybe through these steps and this spiritual transformation. Sure, we got to put the food down. Yeah, you got to do that. But, but if, we, if we follow this spiritual transformation, we move from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. And I don't know why that is. I don't know the hows and the whys. It would all be speculation if I, if I, if I told you what I thought. But I, it's a mystery. But it happens. And Bill was a satisfied customer. And Dr. Bob was a satisfied customer. And you know what? In 2018, I'm a satisfied customer. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. For those of us who might have come on the line a little bit later, we are on page 142. The third paragraph, whether you mention this book, through four paragraphs ending with him on his return and commenting on all. And please say your name just once as it helps me hear everyone. Who would like to share? Julie R. 
Okay, let me tell you who Nancy I got P. in case I missed anybody. Okay, thanks. We'll stop there, please. So I've got Julie R., Lisa B., Jamie Z., Melissa C., Harlan G., and Nancy P. So Julie R., we'll start with you. And if you aren't Julie R., please check this to make sure we're muted. Okay, thank you very much. Please go ahead, Julie. Hi, thank you, Julie R., recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, you could spend hours talking about these paragraphs. But, you know, the bottom line, it the second paragraph, after satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover and that he will go to any extreme to do so, then you suggest a definite course of action. So um, this is that, that whole idea, you know, uh, the doctor opinion comes in. Before we begin this work, right, we become clear-headed abstinent and um this is so uh, an issue in oa because you know people i know for me i did it i i was abstinent a, a week a two weeks a month six months and then i would bend oh that's okay no i have to have complete clear black and white abstinent 24 hours a day one day at a time so that I could do this work because I cannot take this course of action if I am drunk on the food because that means I'm continuing to be blocked. And if I'm blocked, I can't hear the message. I can't get a relationship with God. On page 143, when it says, whatever the method, its object is to thoroughly clear mind and body of the effects of alcohol. For me, it's food. So any of those things that set up that allergy it, whether it's a food, uh, a type of food, an ingredient, a behavior, all of those things, we have to have it, our mind clear. And because I tried to do it the other way, and it just doesn't work. So what happens? We clear our mind, right? We do the work, and then we take off like a rocket, and we have all of these awesome things that happen to us, of whatever the weight loss, of course, is good. I'm not going to lie, <clears throat> but rebuilding relationships. My husband and I have been together 33 years, and it is the best it has been this last four years. Why? Because the food is completely down, and I am clear. I have a clear uh, pathway to hear my creator. Um, yeah, the transformation of thought and attitude will happen, but it can only happen when we put down the food. There was a, something on Facebook the other day. What does imperfect abstinence mean? Well, it means you're not abstinent. Bottom line. You're either abstinent or you're not. You're either pregnant or you're not. So thank God for this book. I don't have to guess what the book says if I want to get what the first 100 had. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie R. Lisa B., it's your turn, followed by Jamie B. Good morning. Um, my name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you, Julie. I hope that what I share uh, speaks to someone out there um, that was maybe like me. I did not know there was a difference between relief and freedom. I was so used to having momentary glimpses of relief. 
And I thought that that was enough. I thought that that's as good as it could get. I thought that that's really all I could eke out of this life. Um, I did not know what it meant to be recovered. And there is a difference between free and relief. And, um, you know, it is possible to settle for those momentary glimpses of relief. And it may last for six months. It may last for a year. It may last for a day. In AA, they call it meeting-based sobriety. And I guess in OA, they might call it tool-based abstinence or tool-based sobriety. And that's as good as it's going to get. But, you know, this book, what we've read today, is describing a, a little bit of a glimpse of what it is to have that transformation and to be free. In the 10-step promises, it says the problem has been removed. I'm so grateful for getting a clear understanding of what the problem really is. And that's what happened to me in studying this book with someone that is recovered. And there are many places that describe what it is to be recovered. And, you know, sometimes I talk to people on the phone and I'll say, are you recovered? And they're not sure, you know, or I'll say, what step are you on right now? And they'll say, well, I'm not really working a step right now. Well, my goodness, I need to know exactly where I am in this process. And I think that was the problem for me. I took it for granted. I thought, well, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. No, no. You see, that's the thing. It says in the big book, many are doomed who do not realize their predicament. And then in Dr. Bob's nightmare, he says, you know, he would ask people, are you done for good and all? And when I'm talking with people that are maybe considering working with me, they want to interview me, you know, they'll say to me, well, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try my best. You know, it talks about in the big book about not having any lurking notion. And I hear that they want to have like a little door that if it really gets bad and uncomfortable, they're going to run through that door again. And um, I don't know. It just... It's a process, and I don't really have an answer of how someone can get to that place. I just really think it's God's grace, having this book, having desperation, having someone in whom the problem has been solved. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa B. Jamie D., it's your turn, followed by Melissa C. Hi, this is Jamie Z. from Chicago, uh, compulsive reader, bulimic. Um, I... I really like these paragraphs because I think it's very clear uh, for abstinence is um, you either want to get well or you don't. And it's very black and white. And I have been in relapse for a year and a half. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, if I go off my food plan that I've been given, if I eat a candy bar, I've relapsed. That's what I call relapse. And... I might be in the program the very next day, and I usually am. I, I, that doesn't mean I went on a major bender or completely went psycho and for days or weeks. If I ate one thing off my food plan, then I had a relapse, and that's what I consider a relapse. It has to be black and white because if I put that sugar into my system, it's there, and I've blown it. I, you know, I, I went back. I went backwards, and I need help. And this book tells me that it's black and white, and it has to. I, I think we're kidding ourselves if, if you don't have black and white uh, absence, back to back absence. And I love this meeting. 
And but I can tell in listening to people talk who has back to back abstinence, black and white, and who doesn't. And um it's a beautiful thing, the the things that people say and, and I get so much from this meeting. Um, I just love it. But um yeah, it it it's and to be I went through so many sponsors. Um, in the last year and a half, good, good women who wanted to help me so bad, but whether I'm just not ready, I'm not getting it, whatever, I work through the steps, but then I relapse, but I won't give up until the miracle happens, and and that's the beauty of this, too, that there's always people encouraging me and helping me, and I'm so grateful for that and for this meeting and for everybody who has encouraged me and helped me. And I'm grateful to be abstinent today, black and white abstinence. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jamie Z. Melissa C., it's your turn, followed by Harlan G. Hi, good morning, Lynn. Thank you so much for your service. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, someone asked me recently, like, why do you like this meeting so much? You know, you mentioned this meeting. Why why this morning meeting? And um, I said, just listen. Just listen and you'll, you know, you'll hear um, what it is. And um, and this is it. Like, I'm just so grateful. This is because you, you're speaking the truth to me today. Like, um, yeah, I can't have any lurking notions. Whenever I had a lurking notion, it really meant that I still thought I had a choice. It really meant I still thought I had a little sliver of control, a little bit of power left in me. And, you know, you don't, at least for me, I didn't know that that was a lie until I kept trying to exert this power choice and control and it failed, you know, miserably. And so, yeah, maybe the best thing that can happen to somebody is losing their job at that point because that might you know, awaken them, it might start to, you know, arouse them to think, I have no choice, I have no power. Um, and, you know, like, the, the one of the things here that really grabbed me um, when it was talking about, um, you know, this drying out, you know, like how you can um, maybe help this person, you know, and they might need to go into treatment, um, and that it's not very, you know, treatment doesn't have to be very expensive, and that, you um, you know, and you might help them out financially with it, but, you know, make it clear that they should pay you back. And I'm thinking, you know, how how this plays with um, working with others, with, you know, um, sponsees or people that call for help. Um, you know, I, I make suggestions to people how we can form our own hospitalization if we're not going to go away into treatment. There are certain parameters that we can put up around us and the food so that we can get entirely clean and in the most safest way possible. One of which is, you know, easy enough, don't go to the supermarket. Now, this can't be a long-term measure, but temporarily, you don't belong in the supermarket, just like you don't belong in a bar. And you can order, you know, Modern Miracle today, you can pretty much go online and order all your groceries and then either get it delivered or picked up. You know, there are many, there, and there are many things. Something that I, you know, do with people is, okay, if you have to go to the supermarket, I'll talk to you on the phone the entire time. 
I'll walk you through it. I'll be there with you. You know, those are the services that I'm happy to give because those were the things people did for me. And what do I say to people that I do this with? Yeah, you're going to have to pay me back in doing this with another person. That's, you know, that's how we work this program. And, um, yeah, it's clear here. We can't be just a little abstinent. There's no such thing as a little abstinent. It's not, well, I didn't put... You know, I didn't pour sugar on this, or I didn't know. You know. I mean, it, it's clear. Um, and once we're entirely abstinent and, and recovered, I don't have to live in that hospital anymore. I can go to the Time, I'm please. Great. Yeah, thank you so much with, with that all pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Nancy P. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you to Team Friday for making this magnificent meeting possible. And as was mentioned before, I take this as sponsorship instruction, and I take it as warnings to myself. For me, there is nothing that is as consistent as the, as the onslaught of this disease. This disease did not go out of town. This disease did not have a bad day. This disease that I have, the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind, did not ever say to me, you know, it's really cold out today. I've had a bad day. I think I won't binge today. You know, I, it's raining out or it's 122 degrees outside here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I think today I won't uh, eat 10 egg McMuffins. The disease never spoke to me that way. The disease was relentless, consistent. The disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. And in these paragraphs that we read today, it is a warning to me to treat this disease with consistency, and consistency to me means that every single day I do what is in front of me to serve, be of maximum service to God and the people about me. On page 19 of the big book, see this book is consistent. It's never inconsistent. On page 19 of the big book it says, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles, the principles are the steps, lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. What, is he t what are they telling me? I've got to work this, I've got to work this program. And then on page 96, on page 96 it says, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced he cannot recover by himself. I have a mind that says, yes, but. I have a mind that says, I'm different. I have a mind that says, I don't care. I just want to eat and die. I need God's help. And what is the bottom line on all of this? Here's the bottom line on all of this for me today, for me. I have an illness that only a spiritual awakening will conquer. I have an illness of the mind and an illness of the body. I have a condition that is permanent, progressive, and fatal. 
and I need this program more than I need anything that is of this earth without exception. And with that, I would Fine, say thanks. Thanks, you, Harlan. Thank you, Harlan G. Nancy P., it's your turn. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Hi, this is Nancy P. from Boston. Um, let me just throw up my center. All right, see you later, buddy. Sorry, everybody. Um, yeah, so the whole thing about th- this part of the um, book for me is that um, I know today I know what abstinence is. And my, um, my, um, I went through the process um, from 2002 to 2005 and it didn't take and I ate for 13 more years. Because you know why? Because I didn't want to put down my alcoholic foods. You know, back in the day, at least in the Boston area, they used to say if sugar was fifth or below, you can have whatever it was. And, of course, sugar wasn't fifth or below and whatever I decided that I needed to have. And, you know, I just thought, what am I going to do all these years? What am I going to do? And when I was finally desperate enough, not willing, desperate, um, I dialed in somehow. You know, my friend um, told me about this meeting, and I dialed in, and I have been abstinent ever since. And I'm coming up on a year of abstinence for the first time probably really ever in the entire 47 years that I've been in this program. And um, um, I, the reason is because there's no question anymore. And when I do have a question, I have had questions. And, in fact, I've, I've called my sponsor and said, I, I think I made a mistake. What happened? And I've told her honestly, like, this is a decision or whatever. I didn't know I made this decision. And she's talked me through it, and we understand. And so I know now for sure what abstinence is. And I, ha- I keep in touch with other compulsive readers who, in whom the problem has been solved to keep me on track. And, you know, last night I went to a meeting and we were reading the first part of Step 12. And, you know, to me, the whole, this whole book is all about remembering, uh, understanding that I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. And every other single thing in this book is in service of that premise. And it says that, you know, in the first paragraph of, that pay- of Step 12, Nothing will ensure um, immunity against drinking than intensive work with other alcoholics. That means nothing. That means not something. It means nothing. And then intensive work means not sort of, well, you know, yeah, I understand if you had a wedding to go to or, or whatever. You know, like, this is what it means. And, you know, my sponsor said to me, um, you know, do you wear glasses? And the answer is yes. Do you wear them on vacation? Do you wear them on the weekends? Do you wear them when you go to weddings? Well, yes, I do. I wear them all the time. And, um, and so that's how I treat my abstinence. I don't take breaks. And, you know, once I became desperate and, and willing, enough, willing enough to do, um, you know, to live in, in this way, there was no question. I mean, it was all sort of, you know, I was at a meeting once and someone, an older woman, probably in her 70s at the time, said that she went skydiving. And she said, once you jump out of the plane, all the fear is gone. And I was like, yeah, no kidding. And once, you know, once I came to the decision that I was going to give up everything in, in service of that, I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable, the rest of it was not that difficult. That was the hardest thing. And, um, I, I, you know, today I live a life that's happy, joyous, and free. And, you know, I have restraints of tongue and pen. I have, I don't yell at my kids anymore. I, I don't pick fights with shopkeepers, vendors, mailmen, or anybody else. You know, Fine, I sort please. of, you know, I sort of just am abstinent and I live these steps. And so thank you all for being here. With that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Nancy P. We have time for a couple of more shares. Who would like that time? Nessa R. Ross M. Lady. Okay, let's go with that. We have Nessa R. Russ M. And I'm sorry, I missed the last name. Lady. I'm somebody D. Okay, Nessa R. Leia, sorry, thank you. Okay, Nessa R. Okay, thanks. R, could you start for us, please? Thank you. Um, good morning, vision for you. This is Nessa R, recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I love the direction that the employer is to deduct the cost of treatment from the alcoholic's um, salary. You know, this tells me two things. Number one, that I am responsible for my recovery. You know, whether I recover or not um, depends on what I do or I don't do. You know, it's not whether this program works. It's, it's whether I work the program, right? How, really, have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly follow our, follow our path? It's not my, my um, sponsor's responsibility that I recover. It's not my meetings. It's not even the fellowship. It's my responsibility um, alone. And by the same token, I'm not responsible for anybody else's recovery. The only thing I'm responsible for is to try to carry the message. Whether the message is received by those on the other end um, is up to them. It's their responsibility. Um, and the other um, thing that this highlights for me is that I got to live with integrity. Um, you know, I cannot... Um, go on this program, on this road of recovery, and continue to cheat, lie, steal, gossip, throw tantrums, yell, um, make excuses, blame others. I got to live with integrity, and that goes hand in hand with the fact that um, I am responsible. I am responsible for my recovery and for the way I live, and I got to align with the principles of this program um, and live the life that God was uh, designed for me to live. And, and that's it. To that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Russ M., it's your turn, followed by Leah D. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, my fellows. Russ M., recover compulsive over here outside of Philly. So, you know, the reason why there's like three three to 400 people on this line every day is because of a meeting like today. You know, Unadulterated truth. Hammers down. No BS. We need to hear this. This disease will kill us. Like like A. Tarwin said, you know, this this disease doesn't play around. It's not going to say, well, you know, uh, you've got to raise so you can eat. No, it will kill you if you're poor or rich. It will kill you anyway. And this truth is just everyone that shared today is just sharing truth like, like no, no other time. And it needs to be stated because people are, are suffering and dying and living in misery because of this disease. Because, you know, maybe I'll eat a red one, i eat a yellow one. I don't know. i got to be careful. It wasn't a good day. I slipped. I'm not judging. I'm saying I was there. I did that for 40 years. 40 years. And I, I, I lost almost everything. More than anything, I lost my life. I lost lost a true existence. So the the truth has been 
lay down on this meeting today is the reason why this program works. And, you know, what's, what's my man Charles say? The truth will set you free, but at first it will piss you off. But if we want to be free and live a life, you got to get hit with the truth. And who the hell likes to hear it? But if we want to live and be what God wants us to be, we got to hit, hit the truth. And I'm saying that more for myself than anyone else. So I love you guys. Have a beautiful weekend. Thank you, Russ M. And Leah D., it's your turn. Hi, good morning. It's Leah D. in Brooklyn. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I'm very moved. You know, when I when I was in the rooms, I've been here 44 years. It's just no big deal. But I never read this chapter. Who needs this? You know, whatever. It doesn't apply to me, and it's a lie. And as I read the chapter and I hear you, I keep thinking God is my employer. And how is God viewing me? And what am I doing to God? And where have I been at fault? And all I remember is my first job at a college. I worked for a brokerage house on Wall Street. And I had a little cubicle. And I remember spending most of my day running back to the candy machine, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I realized that so much of my life has been taken up by this disease and so much that I didn't give back. And the truth is I've been my own employer. I've worked for myself since I'm 26. For 40 years, I was a boss. I don't think I was a very good boss. I was out of control. I had bouts of recovery, but food recovery. I was on a diet. I had support dieting, but I wasn't recovered. I wasn't God's messenger. I wasn't living a life written in stone as it's supposed to be. I wasn't doing any of that. I didn't know it. It's not my fault. That's part of the thing that I've learned in these rooms, that there's no blame here. I'm a, God, I'm a, a child of God, and I'm okay. So I got something this morning says, there is no wine if grapes are not pressed, no perfume of flowers are not crushed. If you feel any pressure in life, it means God is bringing out the best of you. I have to live my life God-driven. I have to live my life based on what God wants me to be today, whether it's the boss, whether it's the employer, whether it's the mother. No matter what, it's God-driven. The food is God's. I live my life. I follow my wash, rinse, and repeat. I live with all of you, and I shake my head. I sit and shake my head. I feel very grateful this morning. I wake up every day full of fear as the employer and the employee, financial insecurity, the whole list. But God has me in his hands. I am with you. We are together. And that's it. Wash, rinse, and repeat. And thank you for letting me share. I needed to start something positive off today. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah D., and thank you to everyone shared and to Team Friday. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Friday, October 19th, is 12062. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Madeline R. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Madeline R. Recovered in Pennsylvania. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, 
You cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us on your, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.